This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, I'm Joyce Teo and welcome to Health Check. In this episode, we are going to talk to a suicide survivor and that's someone who have lost a loved one to suicide. If you're having thoughts of suicide or know someone who's feeling suicidal, please reach out for help. We've included helplines in the podcast text. Suicide is a complex phenomenon, one that is not yet fully understood. It's why the Institute of Mental Health has embarked on a study to explore and analyse the risk factors for suicides here. It is the first psychological autopsy in Singapore, and the researchers are speaking to the families of individuals who had died by suicide to find out more. So one of them is Jacqueline Park. She's 42 and the head of corporate affairs in a boutique consultancy firm. She lost her father to suicide when she was 17. Suicide has devastating and far-reaching impact on families and friends. And today, we are very lucky to have her here on this program, and we will hear about the effect her father's suicide has had on her life. Hi, Jacqueline. Welcome to Health Check. Hi, Joyce. Thanks for making time for us today. So it's been more than two decades since your father died by suicide, right? Do you remember the day he died? Uh, yeah, very clearly. I uh, don't think I will ever forget. So I was um, 17 uh, in JC, JC1. Uh, I was in class, I was in school, and I was just like any other day. But um, then suddenly the, 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 the lesson was interrupted and I was called uh, to go to the principal's office where I was told that, oh, something uh, serious has happened at home and I should head home immediately. Uh, when I reached home, I saw my mom, uh, my younger brother, my aunties and my uncles were all there. My mom was like frantic, crying. My aunt had this uh, very grave look on her face. I knew something had happened, but I, I, I didn't know what. I asked and asked and asked, and I think it took probably an hour after I reached home before anybody uh, finally told me that um, my dad went missing uh, early in the morning. Uh, actually, nobody knew where he had gone. Uh, his wallet, uh, belongings, everything was at home. His shoes were still around. He just disappeared. Uh, they suspected something happened to him because a neighbor came and informed my mother that uh, a body was found at uh, our block. Uh, in the morning, the police came, I think the next day, then we were allowed to go and uh, identify the body. But I think right at that moment on that day, we, we, we knew that must have been him. Yeah, it's just uh, we, we spent uh, a torturous uh, 24 hours um, just um, wondering, uh, I think for me personally, in denial, praying very hard that it's not him and that he probably uh, would just come home. So the whole night, I was imagining him coming home. I think when he didn't, uh, we all sort of knew, but it wasn't until the next day when we actually headed down to the morgue and I went in with an uncle uh, to identify the body that we actually confirmed that it was him. You were very brave. You went to identify his Body. Yes, uh, I to this day I 
did not know why <laughs> it was me and an uncle. It was all such a blur for us that I also cannot remember why, uh, who decided uh, who should be the one to identify the body. Did I volunteer or was I uh, told to go? I, I cannot remember. I can't imagine the shock. Yeah. So, but how was your father like? Um, you know, were there any signs? When it happened to us, it was a shock. But uh, after time passed and we had we have had time to think about it and uh, trace back, uh, there were there were signs. It's just that probably uh, we did not. No, we were we were ignorant, uh, and we just assumed uh, he was just going through a, a bad period of his life. I grew up knowing him as a, a caring uh, father who took care of the family, but I think in the years um, leading up to his suicide, his behavior changed. I think it was so gradual that we we didn't we didn't think it was any um, cause for alarm. Uh, I think the significant uh, changes would be he lost his job. He was unemployed for a very long time and he started uh, just staying at home all the time. There was drinking. There was um, a change in his temperament as well. He became uh, withdrawn. I don't think anybody in the family had uh, spoken to him much at all in the year leading up to his death. Uh, there was also uh, aggression. He, he became quite aggressive. Yeah. So he was just sitting by himself at home, mm. just watching the TV or not doing much? Yes, spacing out. Sometimes at night when we would all be sleeping and if I uh, come out to get water or to the bathroom, I would see him sitting alone in the dark uh, in the living room, oh. just staring into space. I never knew exactly what he did, but mm. I think he worked for a shipyard. Mm, he wasn't a very communicative person. Um, he doesn't share much uh, with us about his his work, his mm. personal life, his hobbies. Mm, I think it's usual for our parents' generation. Our conversations revolve around, oh, have you eaten? Uh, how was mm. your day in school? Do you have homework? I don't mm. ever remember hugging any of my parents at all, uh, my mm -hmm. whole life. Okay, uh, there was definitely no, um, I love you, uh, no talk and conversations on emotions, how we feel. So tell us what happened after he died. Uh, how was it like? Mm, I think. Uh, there was a lot of anger in the whole family. Uh, actually, I cannot remember which came first, which came last, but uh, it was a, a mix of emotions. There was denial. Uh, I, I remember there were many, many, many nights of me still praying that he will come back, that it didn't happen. I would dream of him uh, coming home, opening the gate. So I think that that state of uh, denial lasted for a while. And then there was, um, there was anger. Uh, there was a lot of questions. I think many of us, me, my family, I think we, 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 
we tried to blame each other because we did not know why he did that. What happened? It was so sudden. So we, we had to blame something. We had to blame someone. On hindsight, it's because um, we don't really know how to handle the emotions. So right. by blaming someone, if there's something to blame, I think we feel better. So then there was self-blame as well. I felt so much guilt uh, as I uh, think back of you know the, the times when we did speak before his death, the time that he called me, uh, yeah, those few conversations. And again, on hindsight, he may have tried reaching out for help, but we just did not pick those signs up. Yeah, right. so there was a lot of guilt in me that, you know, I could have, um, I could have anticipated, I could have helped. Right. So I think that that lasted for a very, 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 very long time. Yeah. Mm, then I was also doing my A-levels. So, mm -hmm. of course, um, studies uh, were affected. Financially, we were affected. The whole family was never the same since. And uh, I think what made it worse was immediately after the suicide, during mm. the, the funeral, the entire, I think, three or five days of wake, we were specifically told by the elders in the family not to talk about this. Right. The, the kids, the children were told to... I remember clearly because I was given express instructions to not tell any of my friends... Uh, who attended the, the wake, you know, what actually happened. We were not supposed to let anybody know that he committed suicide. Oh, I see. We were supposed to hide. Right, right. And I remember even then, even though I was young, I was 17, I was like wondering why, why is there a need to hide? Mm. Yeah, so we were told to you know, align our stories, say that it was an accident and blah, blah, blah. Oh, I see. Yeah. That, that must have made it harder. Yes, it did. But I don't think the elders, um, my father's, my grandfather's generation, they, they understood that or they knew that. Mm. I think they, they thought it would be better to pretend that it didn't happen. Yeah. I've, I've been trying to understand from their perspective why we have to do this. So these are some of the reasons that maybe I... I have thought up okay, in my many years of trying to understand. Uh, so I think that made it a lot harder for me mm. because I felt very alone. Mm -hmm. I couldn't talk to any family member about it. I had a lot of questions that I have to hide and not raise. So I did try reaching out to friends. You no, know, um. Uh, close friends, but I think at that age, um, that level of maturity, I don't think anybody knew how how to handle it. Mm. Yeah. So again, I felt when when I tried to talk about the guilt, my, the guilt I felt towards not being able to at least do something or see the signs coming or do something about it. I I remember clearly I was shot down by some of the very close friends that I shared with. They, their response to me was, um, what's the point of feeling guilty now? 
you should have done more when he was alive. Oh dear. I remember clearly to this day because of uh, how badly that hurt. Mm. Um, but I don't blame them because I think um, at 17, and especially in that era when, and when such topics were not very commonly heard of, so I don't think they knew what they were saying. Yes. So I don't blame them, but I just felt helpless. So if family is not able to help, uh, I had no friends to turn to, all I could do was just bottle everything up. So all these um, pent-up emotions, I think it affected um, my uh, school, it affected my studies, uh, it affected my everyday life. But thankfully, uh, I came to my senses right before uh, my A-level exams and I managed to just, I managed to score well. <laughs> wow, well done. So, 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 so that's a blessing. Uh, but I didn't feel uh, any sense of accomplishment. Uh, I was still, I was still very, very trapped by all these guilt, blame, uh, the questions that were left unanswered. So I did reach out for help. Mm-hmm. So all these I had to secretly do <laughs> because of the stigma, the taboo, you know, the topic being so taboo. So I had to pretend on the surface that, wow, I'm okay. I'm doing good. I'm doing well in my studies. I got into the university of my choice. I got into the course of my choice. So on the outside, everybody everybody thought that I was coping well. I, I did fantastic. Mm-hmm. And... I cleared all my modules. <laughs> I graduated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but I was actually uh, suffering. Mm. I tried to seek help in uh, via various channels. I tried to call helplines. Um, I tried to reach out to you know, seniors in school, friends, teachers, counsellors. I spoke to several different ones from different organizations. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I felt that they were trying to tell me how I should feel, mm-hmm. what I should do, instead of accepting what I was telling them. That was, that was the feeling I got. Right. Uh, so I, I think I was way more mature for my age than my peers. And so I felt all these sessions were pointless and a waste of my time. Okay, what I, I needed was to get the emotions out, to talk uh, openly about how I was feeling without being judged, without being told how I should be feeling and what I should be doing. And that was very lacking. Right. And so I gave I gave up talking to anybody about it, mm. and instead, what I did, I think, I went through a, a, a an extended period of a very dark days. Um, I was drinking a lot. Uh, back then, again, I didn't know that such a term uh, exists, uh, substance abuse. I, I did not know, but I was actually using alcohol to self soothe. Mm-hmm. I would. That was after I graduated. So you can see it's been uh, several years after the incident already. Graduated, good results, got a good job, earning a lot of money. So financially no longer uh, an issue. Yet mm-hmm. I was punishing myself. 
I was uh, drinking a lot, getting drunk every other day. It is, I think, uh, a way to cope because I had difficulty sleeping for the longest time. Nightmares haunted me uh, for a very, very long time, for years. I would dream of my father coming back, uh, opening the gate. So initial happiness will shortly turn to fear because he would start telling me how it was my fault. Oh dear. I was one of the reasons he killed himself and he wanted me to follow him. Right. That, that, that tortured me for a very long time. I'm sorry to hear that. But uh, on the surface, again, I acted extremely well in work, uh, in my everyday uh, professional life. So nobody knew what was going on in, inside me. Right. Um, but I know because um, I was lashing out uh, when, when, when I drink, um, I abused myself, uh, I was lashing out, uh, I was ruining friendships, I was destroying relationships. Every time I found a good, solid, relationship, I would somehow just find ways to to totally destroy and ruin it. Mm. The the breakthrough came when um, I left Singapore. I think mm-hmm. it, it has become a place that is so uh, painful for me, so helpless uh, and isolated. I chose to leave. I found a job in Australia. I left and I, I, I was there from age 26 to 32, in that six years, I sought help. I, I gave myself a chance again. I went to see uh, doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists. Mm-hmm. I was diagnosed mm-hmm. that I was suffering from PTSD for a long time. Uh, I had depression for a long time. I just did not know. Oh, So, so you could get up go to school, do well, go to work? For, for all the way until 26, yes. But I think I reached my breaking point. And, and, and actually, uh, in that period of time, there was also a lot of uh, self-abuse and self-harm. I had actually no desire to live. I was mm. going through the motion. I did everything exceptionally well. But I felt there's no point. I only held on because I was the sole breadwinner. Uh, because my father was. And after he passed, uh, somebody has to keep the family going. So I only held on because of that. And after my brother, my younger brother, successfully completed his education, everybody in the family was sort of like, okay, uh, taken care of. I actually reached a point where I, I questioned whether, you know, I'm, I'm needed anywhere. Um, there's no desire to live. There's no life. But people around me see, see it otherwise because high earner, a good career, very bright. Uh, I can land any job I want. Uh, I can do well in any job. But they don't see that I, I was questioning. <laughs> Yeah, the meaning of life. Um, that was the reason I left Singapore. I thought, you know, maybe I try something else. 
in a different environment. And that was life-changing for me. The first few years were a struggle, though, because I was very lost. Uh, I was also heavily drinking, uh, punishing myself. Uh, it was only, I think, in the second half of my life in Australia that I, I found uh, the courage to seek medical treatment. I saw one doctor and I broke down because all he did was tell me that mm. it is normal to feel this way. Mm. It is okay to feel this way. And I wasn't to blame. That was all I needed to hear. Right. And that came after more than 10 years. Yeah. That, right. that one doctor that I saw changed my life. And um, after that, I sought treatment. I was um, diligent in, in my uh, sessions, my, my therapies. And uh, I found peace and I found a uh, reason to continue living. And I think that was what Australia did for me. Mm-hmm. I also felt supported because when I talked about what I experienced, when I talked about my emotions mm-hmm. there, people listen. Mm-hmm. They do not invalidate me. They do not belittle all those emotions that I shared. Even in the work environment, mm-hmm. HR was supportive. It's just different. Yeah, I feel I felt right. accepted. Mm, I suppose the awareness is higher there. Yes. I mean, here, I think even if people want to help you, they may not know how to at that time. Yes. There's this denial. Yes. Right? This is too difficult yes. to talk about. Yes. So was that the start of your recovery journey? Yes. Right. Uh, What drove me to seek out medical help again there in Australia was, I think um, I reached my breaking point. I was just willing myself to die. So Mm -hmm. uh, I just locked myself up uh, in my apartment and I just slept. And I I didn't want to wake up. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't eat. And I was thankful that um, my then uh, co-workers, uh, housemates, roommates, uh, they did all that they could to, to get me on my feet, uh, take me to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they supported me. Yeah. And that was the start of my recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long was that journey uh, I would say about um, four years in Australia, mm-hmm. and then I came back. I felt like um, I stabilized enough. Did you continue the therapy here? Uh, back in Singapore, I didn't do any therapy. I just continued the the medication. Mm. Yeah, I think I only continued the medication for max two more years, mm-hmm. and then. I slowly weaned myself off and I've been okay till now. I guess you managed to come to terms with it? Yes. So I accepted mm. what happened was not my fault. Right. And it helped that there were people who accepted it when you spoke to them about it. Yes. Right. So why did you decide to participate in this IMH study? You know, it's been 10 years since you said you're okay. It must be hard. I mean, actually, how hard was it for you? Yeah. Um, firstly, 
uh, I wanted to play a part in um, creating awareness okay, around uh, suicide, around uh, mental health issues, because there are a lot of issues here and they all are interlinked. Okay, uh, and it's important that we talk about it. One of the largest contributing factor to to me not being able to uh, recover was because of the lack of avenues to talk about it. Yeah, the lack of conversations about it, the lack of awareness. So even if people are empathetic and want to help, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond. And then uh, sometimes they respond wrongly. It, it makes it worse. Hopefully with uh, increased increased awareness uh, and, and avenues for help, that we can prevent uh, more suicides. And every suicide prevented is one life. Because um, thinking back, there were, there were signs, but uh, we, we did not pick it up. Right. But the reasons are, are complex. But whatever help we yes. can, right, it would it would be helpful. Yes. So besides that study, mm. I've had to hold conversations with the family, close friends and colleagues, uh, to let them know that I'm doing this interview mm-hmm. because my identity will be uh, published. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to shock them. Mm. So in that few weeks of those conversations, I have faced a lot of discouragement. Mm. A select few are supportive and think that this is contributing to a good cause. But I would say majority mm-hmm. tried to discourage me. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I don't blame them, mm-hmm. okay, honestly. But I find it perplexing. I cannot understand because some still have this do not air your dirty linen in public mm-hmm. kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. So although I question why is this considered dirty linen? Yes, exactly. Yeah. There were also uh, perspectives from my peers uh, showing concern and worry how this will negatively affect my child. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have two, two kids. Uh, I have an 18-year-old stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a seven-year-old daughter, my, my own biological daughter. Mm-hmm. So there was worry and concern how me appearing in the story, mm-hmm. sharing about my journey will adversely affect them. And, and that truly was a huge question mark for me because I could not understand. So as I, as I probe further mm-hmm. to understand why they have such concerns, it's this again points to the stigma of, you know, people yes. suffering from depression, mm-hmm. uh, that my girl will be ostracized or discriminated against or, or treated differently because her friends and classmates and schoolmates are going to know that their mother has this history. So actually, I have several times in the last two weeks thought of cancelling this. Right. Okay, I, I have thoughts, but the more I hear all these, the more I felt, wow, it it has to be changed. Yes, I, I need to break this cycle. Of course, I, I was I, I fear what if my girl is being treated differently in school because of this? What if uh, she then becomes the subject of 
you know, bullying. Yeah, it, it's a genuine fear. And the fact that almost all of the peers that I shared with have voiced this means it's very real. It's happening. Mm. Yeah. But, <sighs> but thank you very much for doing mm. this. Thanks for your courage. Mm. We need to break yes. this. So this is one reason I want to do this. Because somebody has to do it. Yes. The more people who steps out to step out to do this, the more it gets normalized. Mm. Uh, and, and if it becomes normalized and it's no longer a taboo topic, then all these adverse reactions will not happen. Yes. And we can help. Yeah. We can help them because obviously they're, they're suffering, right? Right. Yes. So really, I mean, we really appreciate you coming out to talk about this. I know how difficult it is for you, but thank you very much. I hope that at least we can, mm. you know, it's a step towards breaking some of the stigma that comes with suicide. Mm. What's that one tip you have for other suicide survivors? Learning through my own experience, I think it is important to talk about it and not to hold it back. It is normal to feel guilt, blame, denial, anger, bitterness is normal so uh, let the feelings let the emotions come okay don't try to hide them but you need to find an outlet you need to find channels to talk and don't give up uh, if i had given up i would not be where i am and i think now in singapore it's a bit different i think it has improved there are a lot of channels of help i believe that people are more trained now uh, and educated now to handle these issues. So keep trying until you find someone or somewhere, some place or something that can help you. Like the doctor I spoke to that changed my life. Yeah, that was after multiple, multiple attempts. So that, that's the most important. Right. Right. Once again, thank you very much for your time and for sharing this story. Yes. And I hope more people step up for the study. Thank you, Jacqueline. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. Don't forget to subscribe to us for free on your favourite smartphone apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Search for Straits Times Health Check, like us and give us a rating. Thank you for listening. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.